Welcome to the Whole Equestrian Podcast. Stable? No. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. Bridal? No. Discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. We're unstable and unbridled. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. Welcome back to Unstable and Unbridled. This is Liz. And this is Rachel. Whoa, what just happened? It looks like our podcast got melded together. So this is going to be an episode where we are going to be guests on another podcast, The Whole Equestrian, with Tyler Held and Emily Hamill. And I guess we are guests on their podcast, too. So welcome. Thanks. We're excited to have you on ours, too. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's kind of fun because usually it's like when I have guests, you're on our podcast, but we're also on your podcast, so it's it's a dual podcast. It's fun for reaching, everyone. Yeah, reaching all of the audiences. Yeah, this one better get all the views. <laughs> um, so for our listeners at Unstable and Unbridled, you guys know that Liz and I have struggled with eating right, working out, and Emily and Tyler are helping bridge that gap between riding and wellness. So we're really glad that we have come across their podcast, The Whole Equestrian. Great. Well, um, thanks for reaching out, and we have enjoyed your podcast as well. But a little bit about ours, The Whole Equestrian began at the start of 2019 after being inspired by a goal-setting night on January 1st. Tyler and I realized that equestrians seldom take care of themselves as well as they do their horses, so we set out on a mission to help riders understand the power of mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community in relation to their riding. And in my first position, um, managing upper-level horses down to the minute details, I was so inspired that uh, little changes that you made in the horses were astronomical to their performance. And I thought, what would happen if I also became dialed in on my nutrition, fitness, and recovery? And the answer was just awesome things happened and continue to happen because I treat myself like you would treat an upper level event horse, which is kind of funny to say, but like literally that I think is a huge gap in our industry. Um, I went to Fair Hill my first year living in Pennsylvania, and I was shocked to see how many riders or athletes were eating pizza and drinking beer after cross country. And I'm looking around like, this is an athletic competition and we've still got show jumping tomorrow. Um, so I just kind of thought that something needed to change and, um, met Emily around the same time and kind of started to talk about these ideas and, We've just constantly pushed each other and inspired each other since. Yeah, it's been a fun uh, friendship, I would say. And uh, as an upper-level rider for the past 10-plus years, I understand the importance of feeling fit and healthy. But as a lifelong learner and recovering perfectionist, I'm always looking for ways to improve. So doing the podcast with Tyler has pushed me to dive deeper into these areas and that I can share this information with our listeners, which inevitably helps my understanding in the process. I love that phrase, a recovering perfectionist. That's so applicable to so many writers, I think. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Yeah, struggle all, all the time with that. Yeah. What got, um, what got you guys into podcasting? Basically, we just decided during the pandemic that when 
since we have so much fun talking together about horses, we should combine some knowledge and some research together to talk about kind of all things equestrian. We did have a little bit of a hiatus last year. Um, we had some big changes. It was a stressful uh, year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Liz was able to move her base to a different farm, and so that was a little bit stressful for her, I've heard. <laughs> All about it. <laughs> um, and so we took took a brief hiatus, but now we're back, and we just love to talk about horses and, and figured that people probably also want to listen to people talk about horses. Right. And like, we thought it would be important to like share kind of like our struggles. So like a little bit like your guys, like with, you know, being fit, eating healthy, weight loss, like just trying to be better every day, like what our struggles are with that and how can we be better and how can we help other people be better at it too. I say, um, I just listened to like your most recent podcast episode um, that was about grooming because obviously as a groom, I was like, oh, like this is a great one to like listen to and feel inspired by. And I just love like how sciencey it is too. Like you guys aren't just like, let's talk about curry combs. It's like I, you were, you were throwing in like big science words in there and I was definitely smiling because I actually, um, I have an undergraduate degree in equestrian studies and like animal science, equine business management, all, all of the above. So, um, all that stuff, like I geeked out on in college and I feel like a lot of people that are in the horse world, like don't realize that side of it, like the research side. So I think it's cool that you guys bring that in. That's all Rachel. <laughs> yeah. I'm the nerd of the group. It's okay. But there is method to the madness. The reason we do things, there usually is a good reason. And, and I think it's fun to figure out what that is and to talk about why we do it a certain way and maybe ways we could even be better based on current research. So I think that's really important piece of things too. Yeah, that's great. So for our listeners, can you guys um, tell us a little bit more about yourselves? Absolutely. So I'm Liz Lund. I am a horse trainer and I am based out of Minnesota in the summers and Florida in the winters. I'm currently in Ocala, Florida. I just literally drove in the driveway from Ocala Horse Trials and um, ran in here to do this podcast so that we could do this together. Um, I have really enjoyed my journey kind of through riding. I grew up riding horses when I was young, just taking lessons, kind of riding anything anyone would put me on. And it kind of grew from there. Then I started exercising hunt horses and then teaching lessons through Pony Club. And then I went to college and I have a bachelor's of science in business management. And while I was going to school at the University of Wisconsin Stout, which is in Menominee, I had training horses with me there. And would travel back to Minnesota on the weekends to teach and just kind of naturally kept growing my business through college. I started going to Florida a couple winters. And once I graduated, I like officially started my own business and have been growing it ever since and have really enjoyed the journey. Go Liz Lund Equestrian. Um, and I'm Rachel McIntosh. I'm a sort of semi-professional horse trainer. I, I really think of myself as like an amateur who just, kind of gives lessons, but to be kosher, I'm listed as a professional on USCA. Um, but I spend my time primarily working in the emergency department as a physician assistant, uh, which basically supports my love of horses. Um, but horses are definitely my true passion. 
I am all about having fun. I like producing young horses. That's probably my favorite thing to do. And uh, you'll find me at novice level at every event with a catch ride from Liz. And <laughs> that's that's my bread and butter. <laughs> you're also a professional because you're actually good. So let's not forget that. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> also, like, novice, novice is like the Olympics for some people. So, like, never downplay. Like, eventing's scary. Like, I don't care what level you're doing eventing at. I'm like, who maybe, like... I had a horse that I took, like, training level, did a training three-day, and the horse after that, like, ruined my confidence, and I just took a pony around beginner novice. I was like, wow, this is also terrifying, actually. A hundred percent. Yeah, it depends on what horse you're sitting on. That is for sure. Totally depends on the horse. Yeah, and I think it's one thing I want to impart on, you know, our listeners and people that I teach is that it's great to have big dreams and there's nothing wrong with chasing those dreams, but it's also great to just want to have fun, enjoy your horse, get a little bit better every day. That's kind of what I'm all about. I love that you say that. I think that's really important. Yeah. It's just like what I talk to my clients about all the time too. Like just, you know, I would love to do sports psychology for people that want to go to the Olympics, but like, it's also my passion to find the amateurs that are spending all their time and money in horses and like get them to actually enjoy it because I feel like a lot of people just like make it more stressful than it needs to be. Absolutely. And like they all come into the ring for their lessons and they're like so nervous and they're so worried and it's like, come on, just relax. Like we're here to have fun. Like this should be fun. It shouldn't be so stressful every day. <laughs> yeah. Cause if it is, you might not be doing it right, so. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got you to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you guys. Um, well, I'm Emily Hamill. I'm a five-star level eventer, dedicated practitioner of yoga, Pilates, and meditation, personal development enthusiast, and plant-strong athlete. So that's, uh, if you listen to our show, that's basically what I say every episode, but that's me in a nutshell. What does plant strong mean exactly? Is that vegan or just plant based? Or what does that mean exactly? Um, so for me, I am mostly vegan. So when I cook at home, it's vegan. Um, and I try to always go for a vegan option if I'm out um, or at a friend's place for dinner or something. But a lot of times it's hard to get vegan options. So then I go vegetarian. But again, I like try to focus on eating as many plants as I can. So that's what that means for me. When was the last time you had a bacon cheeseburger? Um, <laughs> it's been several years, probably like probably probably ache in 2019. Right, Emily? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I just was listening to one of your episodes where Tyler was like, Emily ordered a bacon <laughs> cheeseburger, and I was confused because yeah. I thought she was a vegetarian. <laughs> Literally. I just loved that about Emily, though, because, like, I've always been, like, a very black and white thinker. Like, and if I, like, define myself as something, it's, like, it's almost a sickness that I dedicate to it of, like, oh, like, I am this, I am this. And so the fact that, like, Emily was, like, just so confident to be, like, oh, yes, I'm a vegetarian and just happened to be craving a bacon cheeseburger that night, which I think actually from that story might be the last bacon cheeseburger that 
Emily ate because you started going more vegan right after that Aiken season, correct? Yeah, because, yeah, I was vegetarian before that. And then, yeah, I would, like, have my cheat days where I would eat a burger, which rarely happened. But now my – yeah, then I think I went, like, more vegan at the beginning of 2019. And then now my cheat is, like, cheese, you know. (laughs) It's a little bit different, so. I mean, I'll say it. Cauliflower slaps. I'll say it. I'm here for it. I love cauliflower. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What about you, Tyler? Um, I'm Tyler, and I am now identifying as a semi-retired professional groom. Um, I was full-time in horses for the past 10 years, um, and I've always done school and education alongside of that. I got my master's degree while I was working full-time as a vet tech. Um, and I've done all the coursework for my doctorate in sport and performance psychology alongside being head groom for Jenny Brannigan, which was stressful at times. And so I just made the leap this year to focus on my studies because I'm sort of in the last stage of finishing my doctorate, which is um, a mentorship in lieu of a dissertation. And um, I also do a lot of another really obscure sport, which is called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I'm a blue belt in that and working on opening a gym in the next couple months. So I've got a lot on my plate. Um, Horses are still a big part of it. I still, you know, freelance groom uh, at shows and I'm doing a little bit of work at home. And I've got a little uh, retired hunt horse on the property here that I ride around sometimes. So you know, it's it's a mixed bag, but it's all good. These are some accomplished guests that we have. As as are you guys. So, you know, we just are bringing all the accomplishments from all corners of this place. So. Ask, is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu like a mix of karate or is it? Tell me, I don't know a literal thing about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'd love to know. Give me your 30 minute or 30 second elevator speech on Brazilian jiu-jitsu. 30 minutes. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. So my, my elevator speech on Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I feel like sometimes turns people off to it, but it's submission grappling. So there's an element from standing. That's a mix of like judo, wrestling, um, and like some other stuff mixed in there. But basically the goal is to submit someone through control, um, which is usually chokes or joint locks. So pretty much trying to cut off people's airways or bend their joints in the wrong directions. (laughs) You choke each other out. (laughs) You do. All right. Do they need PAs to stand by at this event for any severe chokeholds? Um, well, Luckily, like, chokes aren't, like, super dangerous because, like, the worst thing that happens with a choke is, like, someone potentially would go to sleep and then they just, like, wake back up. The more more dangerous (laughs) stuff is, like, the the joint submit. Like, if you don't – as a practitioner, like, it's on you to tap. So, like, you tap out and you say, okay, like, that was a submission that was legit. If you don't tap out, then you could fall asleep or you could break an arm. And like, that's your fault. Like, I, I don't, I don't put myself in that situation. I'm like, oh, that arm's tight. I'm, I'm done. I'm tapping. Like, I'm good. Um, I like that you say you fall asleep, not you are become unconscious from (laughs) lack of air. When we were kids, like kids would do that California head rush thing. And everyone was like, you can't do that. It's so bad to pass out. So like, (laughs) 
I mean, I never did that. <laughs> Knock on wood, I've like I I've never passed out yet, or you know, got got put to sleep, put to sleep, sleep because I'm always like, yeah, like that chokes tight. Like I don't want to get there. I've definitely seen some stars though. <laughs> How did you get interested into that sport? Um, okay, so wild like night or uh, in 2019, uh, New Year's, Emily and I had this goal setting night, um, which. Emily heard about on a podcast. She was like, I think it would be really inspiring. We're going to write down 19 goals for 2019. And when Emily was explaining it, she goes, some of them are supposed to be like easy checkoff goals. Like my easy checkoff goal is take a vegan cooking class. And I was like, oh, like I've always wanted to try jujitsu. And I know there's a jujitsu gym in Kennet that opened up and I know they posted stuff about a free week trial. So I'm just going to make this like my easy checkoff goal. And so... Right after I finished my master's, I had just started working for Jenny. I was like, oh, going to do this. I'm going to go check off. So I took like two of the girls from the barn with me and we walk in and I like, I look at what's going on and I'm like, there's absolutely no way I can do that. Like what there's like grown men, like fighting each other on the floor. I don't feel comfortable even walking in this gym. <laughs> and my friends were like, oh no, it's fine. Like you want to check off your goal, Tyler, let's go in. And for some reason, I just never left. Yeah, and now that's that's like such a big part of your identity. It's kind of crazy how that happens. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, I, it's wild. The power of uh, such a unique sport. One night and the power of like just influence. And like, honestly, it was a lot. The people at the gym that like made me stay, you know, I have a really close relationship with my coach that I met like day one. Um and just like they were like oh like yeah like you could do this like you're strong like come on I was like okay like couldn't do a forward roll down the mat like couldn't do any of the stuff and I just had so much fun being so bad at it and now I'm getting sort of good at it even though I'm still bad (laughs) I think that's a similar trajectory to how riding horses goes right like for the first year you're like wow I'm awful at this but I still love it and then off you go (laughs) I mean, it could be a little longer than a year. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, well, true. Depends how old you are when you start, because I feel like kids just progress so fast and they have so little fear that they go from awful to good in a year. <laughs> it's so unfair. Right. right. When I, I was working over at um, Silva Martins this week and she looked at me, she was like, can you ride? And I was like, oh, uh, I know how to post the trot. <laughs> she like <laughs> threw me up on one of her stallions. I was like, all right, this is new. Did you do well? <laughs> how did no. they go? <laughs> I did well. I mean, we were, we were, we were just doing like a little like 10 minute jog set. So like I accomplished the task, but I was like, whoo, this is wild. Like here I am just here to muck some stalls. And now I'm riding a stallion for the first time. That's so cool. I mean, I bet you posted that trot in such a great way. I did. I was like, it's been a while since I've been in a dressage saddle. Like, I'm really, really far off from proper <laughs> riding, okay. but That's I did the thing. So. <laughs> I mean, you must have looked good enough mucking stalls that she thought you could post a stallion trot. So I, th- I would say you're in good shape then. <laughs> yeah. The- yeah. He was so good. He was such a cute good little boy I forgot how much I like I'm like I just love riding like and I do ride pretty frequently now but like 
I haven't done any sort of like serious riding in years. Um, and it's definitely something that I miss, but I, it took the back burner when I decided like to focus on grooming. Um, it's really hard at the level that I was grooming at to also have riding goals of your own. I can imagine. And with your studies. Yeah. Tyler, where are you from originally? Um, Maryland. So I grew up, um, my first working student job was at Waradaka. Um, and then I lived right outside of Annapolis after I graduated college and I worked for, um, Valerie Vizcarando, uh, Pride. Oh, that's cool. So Emily is originally an area four rider from Wisconsin, right, Emily? I am. Yep. Uh, woo woo. Fellow Midwesterner. So yes. I, good times in area four. <laughs> yes. The good old days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're still there. So. Okay. Well, you know, maybe I'll come back someday. Probably <laughs> not. Come but... to Otter Creek. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I loved Otter Creek. Otter Creek was great. Yeah. So. I was going to say, we do try to make an annual trip out for a whole equestrian clinic. We've got like a lot of Wisconsin-based fans. So I love our Wisconsin clinics. To Sheboygan. Mm-hmm. Sheboygan. <laughs> I love saying that word, Sheboygan. I, like, can't get enough of it. Yeah, that's Sheboygan. really fun. Yep, Sheboygan. So. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> oh, my God, I had a million college roommates from Sheboygan. Do you really? Sheboygan. I going to say, when you guys go to a horse show and you go to the bathroom, what do you call, like, the little temporary bathroom that you go in? A porter pot? <laughs> porta potty? Not the biff? Oh, we call it a biff. <laughs> what, what do you call it? A biff. B-I-F-F. Interesting. I've never heard that. Must be a Minnesota thing. Huh. But what do you guys call the thing that you drink water out of? Like, I mean, a drink not I'll tell water. you for one thing. It ain't a damn bubbler. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bubbler. It is a bubbler. No. Okay, let's agree to disagree. But the pods. I went to um, I went to college in Ohio, and the first thing my roommate said to me was, "Do you like pop?" And I looked at her, and I was like, "Like the corn, like popcorn." (laughs) Soda, always been soda. The pop. Like pop, pop. What is that? Uh, Anyways. I feel like we're getting a little off track, but that's always when we're... Yeah, maybe (laughs) we... (laughs) That does happen. Let's jump into some of our topics that we want to cover from all angles. Yeah. So, So let's talk about eating healthy and feeling your body and working out. I know you guys are really good at this, and I know Rachel and I struggle with this a little (laughs) bit. So, I think we can, like, cover all sorts of people, like, you know, like, I feel like you guys are really dedicated and have like really good self-control where I feel the opposite, where I don't really have very good self-control. And (laughs) I think we should just talk about how we can accomplish these goals. Well, first off, I might just say that that is a limiting belief that, you know, you think you don't have self-control, but Tyler (laughs) can talk more on that. I suppose you may need to (laughs) rethink, rethink that belief because I'm sure you can. Um, but I would say, you know, when it comes to habits that it can seem like this lofty goal to do all these things and, you know, change your way of life and the way you eat and exercise and all of that. But 
I would say just don't try to do it all at once. Start with something small that you can commit to and know that you can do um, on a daily basis or however often it needs to happen. Uh, and then once you've done that, then you can move on to the next thing and then add another one after that. You know, part of it is gaining confidence in knowing that you can create a healthy habit. And then like once you do one, it's easier to do another and build on that. And I'm sure Tyler can touch on the sports psychology side of things. Like I know that there's a statistic about like how long it takes to create a habit and also how to pair your habits. I think maybe it's called something else. Tyler can correct me, but yeah, no. And I, and I know what you're talking about there. Um, and there's like a lot of, I think it's like 26 days is the most commonly quoted sort of habit building, um, thing. But one of the biggest things that you can do is to just like do it every day. Um, so like oftentimes people will say, Oh, like I'm going to start a workout plan and I'm going to work out like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And like, it's fine. Like, you know, obviously taking rest days is fine. Obviously not being able to work out every day, but from like a habit uh, forming standpoint, it might be more beneficial to do like a short Tabata workout every single day instead of like trying to force yourself to be in the gym for like an hour on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, just because like the repetition uh, is so key with our just ability to commit to things and, and to be able to repeat that process. Um, another sort of side to the conversation that I'd really like to touch on is, uh, the idea of motivation because people are always like, Oh, well, like I want to, but I just like, I, I, I have the motivation or I don't have the motivation. And like, I feel like that word gets used a lot. Um, and I love for people to have a why, like you have to have some sort of driving force that says, this is the reason I want to eat healthy. Like if you just want to say, oh, I want to eat healthy. And then you don't have like a strong surge or thing. I, I was l lucky and unlucky that, um, I got sick with celiac disease and that is kind of what made me go on the trajectory towards eating uh, in a healthier lifestyle because like I needed to, to feel like a functioning human being. And you know, that's, that's a pretty big motivation, but motivation can only get you so far, right? So the biggest thing to think about is how can you set yourself up to be successful? Like I am definitely the kind of person that if I buy a package of cookies, like I'll eat one and I'm like, Oh, I'm only going to have one. But then I'm just thinking about the cookies sitting on the shelf and it's like, okay, well, I'll just have another one. By the time I'm on cookie number four, it's like, well, if I just eat all of them right now, then the package is out of the house. I don't even have to think about it anymore. And so if I just never had cookies in my house in the first place, this whole spiral of mental torment would never happen. Um, when you're going to the grocery store, like literally don't even go in the aisles that have processed foods in them. Like I go to the grocery store and it's such an easy shop because I make three stops. I go into the produce section. I go into the, uh, protein section. And then I hit up the freezer section for frozen vegetables and frozen fruits and that's it. And I don't have any temptations. And then I don't have anything in my house that's going to make me feel like 
I want to go off the rails. That's actually something I learned from listening to one of your podcasts was if you stay to the outside of the grocery store, it's like all the fresh, like normal food where like if you go down the aisles, it's like all the processed like cereals and grains and like all that stuff, which like I just didn't really like notice that before. And now I like find myself like trying to stay to the outside of the grocery store. So thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. Stay on the perimeter, you know, you'll be good to go. Very easy. And it makes your grocery shop like super quick. Like I had like maybe 10 minutes today to, to get groceries. And I was like, boom, boom, boom. Like, that's good. I like get my asparagus, my salmon, my Brussels sprouts. Like I'm good to go. I think that's a really important point that you just made Tyler too, about the word motivation. Like it's such a nebulous term to me and seems so abstract. Like I know what the word literally means, but it's when you think about, okay, what's my motivation? That just seems so out there and so difficult to kind of bring into words. So I like the idea of finding a why rather than thinking about a motivation, quote unquote. Right. Because like you can be the most motivated person in the world, but if you intend to go running in the morning, but you were going to run at a park and it's 15 minutes away. And that was your plan. Like your plans, like, okay, I'm going to go to that park. I'm going to go for a three mile run. Um, and you wake up, you look outside, it's a little drizzly, your bed's nice and warm. You haven't gotten your stuff together for your run. Like it doesn't, motivation doesn't matter at that point. Like you're going to want to stay in bed. It's way more comfortable than doing the hard thing and going out and running in the rain. But if you set yourself up and it's like, okay, you know what? I'm actually going to call Emily and I'm going to make sure Emily's going to meet me at the park. And I'm going to lay out my tennis shoes and my workout clothes right next to my bed so that like when my alarm goes off, I'm going to see my sneakers and I'm going to think about how Emily's going to be waiting for me at this park. All of a sudden, like motivation doesn't matter. Like everything's set up for you to accomplish that goal. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. Accountability is key for sure. At least for me, that's really helpful to have someone else, you know, in the process of whatever that habit is that I'm trying to create. So like Tyler had mentioned with like buddying up for workouts or whatever. It's really interesting that we're talking about this and how doing a little bit every day is helpful too, because I just read a study on Facebook, which I'll have to find the actual study and I'll link it in the show notes. But it basically said that um, working elderly horses for short periods of time, five or six days a week is actually much healthier than expecting them to work for an hour, three days a week. And I think that's a very similar plan to what you're describing with, you know, do a small Tabata workout every single day rather than dedicating hours in the gym three days a week. Yeah. I hadn't heard that before in relation to horses, but that makes total sense. It's like active recovery, right? Like you want to make sure like people always think, oh, like recovery is rest day and I should just like sit on the couch and like eat and not do anything, not move. But like how stiff do you get? Like after, you know, if, if you go to a FEI competition and a horse is like a little stiff that morning, what's everyone doing before the jog? They ride the horse, like they let it stretch its legs because like blood flow is so important to recovery. So like if you can just keep yourself moving and keep doing things like I oftentimes will feel worse if I don't do anything. And it's not to say that like I just pound out workouts all the time, but like 
you know, incorporating some mindful yoga into my day that I want to be like a little bit more low key. That's still a workout. It's just not like a high intensity workout. Motion is lotion, baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I've never heard that before. So I have tried everything that has literally come across my phone on Instagram or Facebook. That's been like the latest diet pill, the latest diet trend, like You know, I'm always looking for a little bit of a quick fix. And unfortunately, in trying some of these things, they're really, that really is not the answer. So, (laughs) you know, like now I'm really trying to focus on like eating regularly throughout the day, which has been my biggest struggle forever, really, because I don't eat breakfast, I don't eat lunch. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm going to eat everything and go out to dinner. And then I get appetizers and eat food and have some drinks and it's just horrible. Like it's definitely messed up my metabolism. And so like, I've been really working on eating small meals, healthy meals throughout the day, like every two to three hours, and then trying to drink 12 ounces of water, like every hour and a half, which I actually think like, for me, the water has made a huge difference. Like if I can get my water in every day that I try to do, then I feel really good. Like just overall, I just feel just better in general. And you know, for me, it's been like trying to make these small changes and also like realizing there isn't really a quick fix that's gonna last. Like, yeah, okay, you might be able to do something and lose a little bit of weight. But as soon as you go back to normal, or you stop taking the diet pill or whatever it is, like, you just put the weight back on and you feel worse. And like, it's just about making lifestyle changes, which like, I personally struggle with. So it's been really good to like, listen to your guys's podcasts about like different things and get different tips on how to just like make small changes in my life. And I think it's a really important thing that you brought up about lifestyle. Cause yeah, it's really, you know, if you go into it thinking diet, like that's not something that you can maintain, but you know, making a lifestyle decision or changes like that is a more permanent thing. So, I mean, it can be hard to, implement that but again if you think of it as a longer process um rather than a quick fix I think that's that's a good place to start so yeah yeah definitely and I'm actually right along there with you like with you know I've gotten it's almost more frustrating the more that you know about nutrition because I feel like you'll go into the research and, you know, like you can find a lot of really good stuff on like a plant-based athlete. And like, these are two extremes, but like, then you'll find the absolute opposite, like saying, Oh, like carnivore diet is the way to go. And, you know, eat small meals throughout the day or intermittent fasting. And like, it's all these things that are like opposites that work for different people. Um, but I always find myself coming back to, um, Michael Poulin's like eat real food, um, mostly plants, not too much because not too much is huge. Um, there's a lot of research out right now on, um, like the only way to extend human lifespan is to eat in a, in like a small calorie deficit all the time. Um, the, the, the CrossFit mindset for their nutrition is like eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. Like it's just very simple. Like you can put it down to protein and produce and like just basically 
have like more of a philosophy for eating than a like strict plan. Um, that being said, like currently I'm working with a functional nutritionist. I feel like I've had, you know, held on to a little bit more weight in the past couple years than I should. Um, after having gotten diagnosed with celiac disease, I just never felt that like my gut got healthy again. Um, and I did some blood work and it's just like very interesting stuff on the blood work about, uh, inflammation in my body. I actually have extra iron in my body, which is weird. Cause when I first got diagnosed, I was anemic. And so like you can go as deep as you want to, but in general, like just thinking about eating real food and enough, but not too much of it. Like that's as simple and easy and straightforward as you can be with your nutrition. And like the other big aspect that I always tell people is like, stop stressing out about it because stress is going to make you hold on to weight. Like stress is never going to be good. So if you have a bad day, like just reset the next, because I've had this, you know, I, again, I'm not a rule breaker. So I've gone into like super strict diets and I've been like hardcore, so good for six weeks, but it made me so stressed out to be that perfect that like, I didn't actually get the benefits from the diet I was doing. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about lifestyle change. And one thing that's really helped me is to when you're talking about just produce and proteins and whole foods, I read something somewhere who could even say where that um, if you look at a label and there are more than five ingredients and any words that you can't pronounce, it's probably not a great food for you to eat. And that's a really easy way for me to keep myself in check at the grocery store. Like I'll pick up quote unquote healthy snacks and they're 25 ingredients long with all these chemicals I can't pronounce. And it's like, okay, this is clearly processed junk, even if it says healthy on the label. And that's a good way I've kept myself in check and kind of changed my relationship with what is actually healthy. Because unfortunately, there is a huge diet industry in our country that spends a lot of time, money and resources figuring out how to convince people they're eating healthy while still eating junk. And I think being even remotely aware of that has been a big change for me that I didn't think about five years ago. You know what? I think, I think that's a really good rule. And we've, I think, talked about that a little bit on our show too. That, that might be a saddle sore for me is like, uh, literally like snacks that like people think are healthy that have like been marketing marketed as healthy like don't like cliff bars and like Gatorade those are all just sugar like just sugar and it's like oh sports beverage and like sports bar and those two things like could not be worse for you right (laughs) and speaking of sugar too like another quick thing you can do if you're looking at food labels is see how much added sugar is in something because like that's different than sugar. So say you have, you're getting something that has a fruit in it and the sugar is coming naturally, like that isn't added. But if you pay attention to, you know, where it says under the regular sugar, it says added sugar, like you want to try to make that zero. Um, I don't know. That's just something that also helps me because they throw sugar in everything that you wouldn't think sugar should be in. So... And Emily, the sugar in fruits are 
digested a little bit differently because of the fiber content in fruit. So like the fiber, the way that like your body digests it, it digests it a lot slower. Like when you're having processed foods with sugar, that's like going straight into your bloodstream, like causing a blood sugar spike and then like causing it to crash. And, um, what a lot of people don't realize is because I feel like a lot of equestrians like do live on like this highly processed sugar diet and they're still like skinny, beautiful people. Um, and those, the side that I'll say for that is like, um, what that food does to your body is it actually puts you in a pre-diabetic state. Right. Not to scare anybody, not to scare anybody. (laughs) You have diabetes. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah. So maybe now's a great time to segue into something a little more positive. Yeah. So I think an important thing for all equestrians is focusing on positive thinking and like how to when you're riding think about what you want to be doing rather than focusing on what you don't want to be doing. You know, I find a lot of the times when I'm talking to my riders and they're like, oh, I'm really nervous for this jump. I'm like, all right, so what are you going to do? And they're like, well, I'm not going to pull. I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. I'm like, well, no, like, what are you going to do though? (laughs) Like, let's think about, you know, you're going to ride a nice canner. You're going to ride a straight line. Like you're going to sit tall. Let's focus on the things that are positive that you actually want to do. Because if you're thinking about the negatives, all you can think about is the last thing in your head. So like, don't look down. What are you going to do? You're going to look down. Don't miss. What are you going to do? You're going to miss. Like, so focusing on what it is that you actually want to do and thinking positive. Yeah. If I tell you, don't think about a pink elephant, what's the first image that comes to your mind? A gorgeous pink elephant. A pink elephant. (laughs) A gorgeous, gorgeous, a big <laughs> giant pink elephant, right? And I, I use that analogy so much um, in my work as a sports psychologist to do like exactly what you're talking about is um, so many times fear and anxiety comes from either future, uh, future concerns like, oh, like what's going to happen if I don't do this well, or, you know, how is it going to feel like if I do miss to this jump, like, is everything going to get messed up? Or, you know, if I have this rail, I'm not going to win this competition or, oh, I've really like messed up something like this in the past. Like I'm probably going to do it again. So it's past and present thinking that causes a lot of stress and anxiety. And so what I try to do is give riders the tools to be in the present moment, to find that, like you're saying, exactly actionable uh, things that they're they're physically doing. Um, so I use pre-performance routines. I use keywords. There's a really common topic that I talk about called thought stopping um, because a lot of people just don't realize like those thoughts that come into our brain, like, you know, so they're automatically processed. They're a result of patterns and just like ingrained in us sometimes. And they don't realize that like you have the power to step back and say, is this thought productive to my goal? If you want to have a beautiful show jumping round and like, you've got this thought of, Oh my God, like, I don't know how I'm going to get this without chipping deep into number three. Like that's not productive. What, what are you going to do to not chip into number three? And 
sort of like a mindfulness practice of sitting with your thoughts and not engaging with them. Thought stopping takes it one step further to like stop that thought and then replace it with a more positive one. I think that's a really good point that you make about thought stopping because I am like a a self-admitted a self-admitted catastrophizer. I imagine the worst case scenario at all times because then if it happens, I'm prepared. And if it doesn't, then I'm relieved. And I've spent a lot of time in therapy. Yes, I do therapy. Everyone should. Um, to, to work on acknowledging those thoughts, recognizing they're there, and then letting them go and bringing something more constructive in. And I think a lot of the time in this culture, you know, we're sort of moving toward the positive, which is great, but we also are seeing toxic positivity where people are saying, just ignore everything bad and only think about the good. And I don't think that's realistic either. So I think it's really important to acknowledge those thoughts, recognize they're there and then let them pass and take on something more positive. Yeah. I think that's really important too, because I do feel like at least with the younger generation and like bringing up working students and kids, like they're like, well, I just need to be happy all the time. Well, that's that's not realistic. And honestly, without sadness, you don't have happiness. And without, you know, those bad feelings, you don't feel good. And I think recognizing that it's okay to not be okay sometimes is really important. And I think that that's missing in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, and not judging yourself if you have, like, a negative thought or you're not feeling happy all the time, you know, Again, you don't want to dwell on it, but you don't want to judge yourself for it because then that's going to spiral into other feelings and thoughts that you don't really want. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's all part of the accepting and then letting go, right? Definitely. You know, I I never want to tell anyone that it's all hunky-dory. Like, if you have fears in riding, like – you should, like, if if you ride really poorly on cross-country, like, there are severe consequences of that. And so it's not just necessarily to say, um, you know, you should have positive thoughts all the time, but do you have the competence to have confidence? Like, do you have the skills? Is it is it just a mental issue? Or, like, do you need to take a step back and work with your trainer? Like, is this actually, like, a physical and technical issue or... Um, are you scared because there's other stuff getting in the way mentally? Yeah. And I think that's a good point too. Like I struggled with one of my horses cause he's a little bit spooky and like I would get worried. And so I'd talk to my trainer, John Halling and he's like, well, yeah, like you have every right to be scared because he is spooky and like you, it's okay to like be worried about it and do this, but now we're going to work through the steps on like how to get through it and make it so that it's not an issue, but don't feel bad that you're scared and don't be embarrassed that you're scared and like recognize that like you're asking for help and we're going to work through this. And I think that can be hard for people to do. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it sounds like John handled that situation well, and I would hope that most trainers do that, you know, but, um, unfortunately, like that's not always the case, right? Um, And I think that talking about these things is just going to help kind of the next generation of riders and coaches and hopefully everybody can try to put more of a positive 
encouraging spin on their teaching and training. Yeah. Well, and I think it's been really cool. So I have done the ICP program through USCA. That's the instructor certification program. And Rachel just did her workshops and we went to the symposium down here in Ocala and they're kind of revamping the whole program. And like they brought in sports psychologists like to talk about, you know, like how do people learn differently? Like you can't just teach everybody the same, like everybody's different. You have to be accommodating to, you know, everyone's learning styles and be flexible in how you teach things and say things and do things. And I do think it is at least going more in that direction. So hopefully more people can get on board with it and we can, you know, make it a thing to be positive and encourage everyone. And I think providing people with actionable steps is so important because if someone just said to me, well, just be positive. In my head, I go into this whirlwind spin out of control. And so when someone says, instead of be positive, imagine the ride going really well. Picture yourself finding the perfect stride, soaring over the fence, galloping away. That's something actionable. That's something that I can actually do. And I think hearing upper-level riders, upper-level grooms, upper-level people saying these things is going to be really helpful for the next generation of riders to realize everybody has the same fears and anxieties, and there are ways to work through it that include things that you can do from home on your horse without spending a ton of money or spending a ton of resources or whatever. Speaking of the next generation, do you guys want to hop into the, like, working student? Okay, so talking about the next generation, like, we have been working students ourselves, and I've had working students. I'm sure, Emily, you have also had working students. At some point, we've all experienced being one, being near one, whatever, And it's definitely interesting to, like, see kind of how the trend is going. I've read a lot of articles lately about, like, burnout and how being a working student is so hard because nobody treats you well and they expect you to do all these really hard things and they yell at you. And I I just struggle sometimes reading these articles because I don't know why anyone would put themselves in a situation to be treated that poorly. If that is actually what's happening... Like, you need to remove yourself from the situation. This is my opinion. Maybe there are reasons you can't. It's like, you know, when people say they're in an abusive relationship and you're like, oh, why don't you just leave? Well, I get it. It's not that simple. But, like, if this is what you want to do for fun, like, you need to go and find someone that you look up to and that you admire and go work for them. And if it doesn't work out, go work for someone else. Like, go try a bunch of different things. I think it's hard being young now Because you have social media, you have all these things saying, like, you need to know what you want to do. What's your passion? Follow your dream. But a lot of these kids, like, they don't even really know what that is right now. And this is the time of your life where you should be trying different things. Go to college. Take a class you never thought you would take. You know, do, you know, like you guys said, set 19 goals for 2019 and do all these things. And just try different aspects of life. Yeah, you should yeah. sign up for Brazilian Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just I mean, like if you had never done, like had that as a goal, like you would never be doing it, which is like a big part of your life right now and you would have never guessed in a million years like this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I think it's also important for working students to realize like it's okay if you are in a working student position and 
you decide that it's not for you because the horse industry is hard. And I think the beauty of working student positions is like you can figure out if you want to pursue this professionally, um, you know, and again, it's not for everyone and there's nothing wrong. Like if you're really miserable being a working student, guess what? You probably shouldn't be a professional unless you're just not in the right program. But, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a tricky kind of subject, I think. Um, well, and I think understanding but. that there's like so many different jobs to be in the equestrian world. Like so many people come into being a working student and they're like, I want to ride in the Olympics and get paid to ride really nice horses. Well, okay, but that's, like, a very small percentage of us actually do that. Like, you can be a trainer, you can be a coach, you could teach clinics, you could be a groom, you could be, a, like, do body work, you could be a chiropractor. Like, there's so many different things, like, within horses that you could do, and you just got to figure out, like, what is your passion, and what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? I also just don't know any of our Olympians that ride just nice horses. Like, there's not... There's never, like, a clear-cut, like, nothing is cush in the horse world. Like, especially not in eventing. Like, there's just not this life that's just going to be like, oh, like, there's no hard work attached to this. But, like, really, there's nothing without hard work in reality anywhere. And, like, I love working hard. And that's what I love about the horse industry is I love, like, the discipline that it's given me that's been able to transpire to all other areas of my life. But I think people go, they go stay in a working student position to the point that they're burnt out. And then they're like, oh, my God, I don't have any other skills. It's like, okay, no, look at all the skills that the horse industry has given you. And and like you're saying, like, well, you could go be a saddle fitter. Like, you can still make horses a part of your life if you don't want to be doing the day-to-day barn chores. There's opportunities everywhere. Just have an open mindset. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think it goes back to... Like, this whole idea that, like, every day should just be fun and happy and, like, you just, like, love it. Like, no. Like, the days that are hard, the times you fall off, like, you get kicked in the thigh. Like, those days make the good days so much better. And, like, you're working to have that, but it isn't going to be easy all the time. It's not going to be fun all the time. And if you don't want to work through the hard times, then you're probably not meant to be in the sport. (laughs) I was just going to say, I think there are values to the conversation about should we be having, you know, people working constantly, extremely hard for no benefits? No. And I think it's important to recognize that just because the generation before you had it really hard doesn't mean it always has to be really hard. In a way, I kind of understand where people are coming from. But to sort of bring in my other job, medicine, like residents, for example, are worked to death, like trash hours, the longest hours you can imagine. And that I think it's valuable to honor the fact that you shouldn't expect good labor with no benefits. At the same time, I totally also understand the perspective that, you know, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. These are really difficult industries, and that's that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but I, I think I think it's important to, to weed out the sort of abusive programs because they're definitely out there, and I think it's important to recognize them and 
validate the people who have worked for them's experiences while also maintaining the understanding that this is a really difficult industry to be in and it's not always going to be easy. I will say too that I think like there should be a part on like our generation like you know Emily is in a manager position Liz you're in a manager position like knowing how to create a better world for the next generation of working students if that makes sense yeah absolutely that makes a ton of sense and I think so many people too like oversee like how much education goes into running a business like I went to business school I know how to do my books I know how to schedule I know how to talk to people I know how to relate to people do I want to do it all the time no but it's part of the job like I don't just go out and ride horses like I have to teach lessons I have to accommodate people's schedules I have to do all these different things that people don't realize like there's all these different skills that go into like having your own business and I think going to college is very important. I think everybody should go to college just for the experience, just to be able to take classes, like just so you have more options with whatever it is you want to do in life. You know, you could say you went to college and you don't use your degree, but I bet you do. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. You learn something in some class or some experience from someone and you're using it in your life now. I mean, I don't really use my Italian degree, but I appreciate your sentiment. <laughs> you could start. I mean, I like I like hearing Italian. You want to talk to me in Italian? <laughs> sure, we can have. Yeah, can you say something? Putting putting you on the spot. Um, sure. Uh, ho studiato Roma por seis meses, y um, now now I'm getting confused because I speak Spanish at the at the bar, yeah, and it's, it's very similar. So now I speak Italian you just mostly. Say, I love pasta. I could. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Mi piace pasta. Uh, so go out there, kids, and get a degree that you're not going to use. Um, that's... Yeah, exactly. Find your passion. And, uh, <laughs> I have a degree in horses. Speaking of future, uh, you want to talk yes, about Emily, what's, what's coming up? Yes, Emily, tell us all about what you're doing. We oh. really just want to talk about Emily. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I didn't... Wow, that sounds like I set that up for myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is not how I meant that. Um, no, I'm serious. I want to hear all about it. <laughs> okay. So um, actually, as we are recording this, the entries for badminton closed today. So Woo! tomorrow <gasps> I will find out if I got in because it's um, they're only taking 85 riders and like everybody wants to go because they didn't have badminton for the past two years with COVID. Um, so there's supposedly a lot of people that entered and then it's all based on your points and ranking. Um, so I'm hoping that I get in. I mean, I had a really good season last year, um, at the five-star level, you know, and I've got some points behind me. So hopefully that's enough to get me, get me in. But once this is released, this podcast, I guess we'll know either way, but, um, assuming that I get in, I'm going to go over, compete at badminton. And then because it's such an expense to get there, um, I'm going to stay and train and do some other competitions all the way through Burley. So that's my plan. That is my plan A. 
Um, so I'll get to spend about five months in England and hopefully have a lot of cool experiences, learn a lot, train with some different people over there. And yeah, it's, it's a big commitment, uh, but I'm excited. You know, you just don't know how long you have a five-star horse and yeah, that's so exciting. Yeah. And, uh, I wouldn't want to do this on any other horse. So yeah, that is so bleeping cool Emily like too she good for you that is a, an amazing she goes like head first right so I, I'm helping her pack for Aiken and she's like oh I've got to like really do a lot of stuff because I'm gonna rent out my house because I'm planning on going to Europe and I was like wow like that's baller that's hardcore that's just saying like this is what I'm doing I'm literally gonna rent my house out so I'm homeless for this yeah. plan that may or may not happen <laughs> Um, that's just like, take caution to the wind. It's just like a little bit of Emily inspiration yeah. there. She was like, this is yep, happening. Putting it out there into the universe. So who are you going to train with? Uh, so I'm hoping to train with a couple different people. I'm going to base myself at Mike and Emma Winter's barn and they're right in the heart of the Cotswolds and they have an amazing facility. And then that has everything you could possibly want. And then they have different trainers that come in and teach out of there. So Laura Collette, they ride with um, in dressage. And she's obviously a very accomplished rider. I would be interested in working with her. Uh, the prices are nearby, Tim and Janelle. Uh, and, I mean, everybody's around that area. Um, and they have like a show jumper from Belgium that comes in to teach and there's, there's just a lot of options, but I'm excited to go over there and just, you know, watch different lessons, decide who I want to ride with and learn from. And that sounds like an amazing opportunity. So awesome. I listened to the John and Rick show episode with William Fox Pitt and I fell in love. So if you're listening, William. (laughs) I'm interested. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he would obviously be a great one to ride with, too. I'm not sure where he is in relation to where I'm going to be, but um, obviously he's He's a master. (laughs) (laughs) What, right right next to Jack Dawson Um, from Titanic? (laughs) I mean, obviously. Jack is number one, but... (laughs) What about you, Tyler? What are your future plans? So, like I said in my intro, um, I'm labeling myself as a semi-retired groom. I'm still planning to get out there with the Brannigan Eventing team this year. I actually just got back from Red Hills um, with them and, you know, spent a week in Wellington with Jenny as well. Uh, I work a few hours for Silva a week, and, like, it's just been good to get my horse fix in while I'm doing all these other goals. Um, So I'm actually... For my mentorship program, I need 200 hours of in-person consultation between now and December. So if you or anyone you know is interested in sport and performance psychology, especially in, um, you know, the Pennsylvania hub of eventing, just because I need like half of those to be in person, um, I am fully open for clients. Um, I'm doing everything at a very reasonable rate because it's a as much of a benefit to me as it is to those people that I'm working with. And, uh, yeah, just hoping to wrap the bow on the doctorate. Um, 
signed a lease on a location to open my own jujitsu gym with my coach uh, in Kennett Square. That's a long story, but the the gym that I did train at when I first started ended up closing because of COVID, and the owners uh, have a satellite location in Nottingham, which is like 30 minutes away from me um, instead of five minutes away from me, and um, they just have no interest in opening another location in the closer spot, so we're going to go ahead and do it ourselves. Yeah. So if somebody wants to do or like have a session or sports psychology, I don't know what it's called session with you. How do they like get in touch? How do they sign up for that? Tell us about that. Um, so a ton of people just reached out to me on Instagram, which is cool. Like I'm, I'm cool with people reaching out to me on Instagram. Um, my email is also a good place to find me, which, uh, we can probably put in the show notes. Um, but it's just T Y A H E L D at gmail.com. Um, and I have like a really easy scheduling link. Um, so I pretty much like for anything, just give you a link and you can schedule whatever time works, uh, in your schedule. And then my schedule is open when I'm available. And, uh, I always do my first session free of charge so that I can kind of get a good idea of if we'll be a good fit. But, um, I work with a lot of different types of athletes, uh, different sports as well and levels of achievement. Uh, I, I had someone ask me one time if they could get sports psychology cause they're an amateur that like doesn't have a lot of competition goals. And I said, like, of course, if, if you want to, if you want to get better at anything or like enjoy something more, uh, sports psychology is for you. So, so with your clients, does it like depend on what their goals are, but like how often do you normally meet with someone like once a week, once a month, or does it just depend? Yeah, it really does depend. Um, if like I'm actively working with someone who's got like sort of a problem, um, and they're, they're actively in their heat of competition. Those people I will recommend on working with once a week. Uh, sometimes I'll even talk to them twice a week if needed. Um, a lot of clients will have stuff that they're working on and it's more like a long-term process that's working on. So one week, isn't always enough for them to put what we've talked about into action. So we'll talk about every two weeks. Um, Typically, I feel like I'm able to help change mindsets and and actions in the first month or two of session. So sometimes it will be more work together at the beginning and then just like sort of brush ups when there's a competition coming up or something resurfaces. Um, so I'm, I'm still working on forming my practice too, but you know, I would say like a heavy competitor, it's, it's worth, you know, being really focused about your goals, talking about it all the time. And then everyone else is just kind of, uh, what, what are you getting out of it? What do you need? I'm very individualistic in my approach. Like I don't have like a, 10 week program that, you know, week one, we work on self-talk week two, we work on imagery week three, we do goal setting. It's like all of that is incorporated, but like, I don't want to waste someone's time if they're having a different issue. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. What about you? What do you guys have going on? Well, in the future. So like Rachel said earlier, I moved to a new facility that some clients purchased for me in Minnesota and I have a long-term lease on it. So 
you know, we're still in the process of like feeling it out and how things are going. This is the first winter we've spent there. I have an amazing staff that's running it. So I want to like continue to improve my business. I would love to be able to hold, hold some schooling shows and more clinics. We have a cross country course, so we're going to add jumps and uh, I'm just really excited because there hasn't really been a great place on the west side of the cities in west of Minneapolis to, like, go cross-country schooling or to, like, have these opportunities. So I hope I can, like, bring that to our eventing community up there and, you know, get more clients. I would love – I love producing horses and riders. I started breeding some horses, so I hope I can continue my very small breeding program. Um I should probably sell some horses, which I don't like to do. So they become really fun, and then I don't want to sell them. So um, I want to continue to help, like, encourage other people to follow their passion, you know, and be able to go back and forth to Florida every winter, too. So that's what I'm doing. (laughs) I heard that you really want to give your assistant trainer nice horses to take to their first show but maybe that was just a rumor. (laughs) I do. So we have this, we have this trend for the last two years now, right? Because it was, Eric got hurt in, what was that, 2020? And Rachel took Armani to his first show. And then last year, she took one of my little mares to her first show. And now both of those horses are doing fabulous. So Rachel's just going to take all my horses to their first shows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll make sure that the important person in the the business doesn't get killed at the first show. And then I'll pass them off. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Rachel, what are you doing this year? I'm just trying to not get COVID. I'm still a COVID virgin. I somehow have not gotten it in two and a half years in healthcare. Knock on wood. I know. I keep saying it, but... Uh, so I'm going to keep trying to not get COVID and then I will be starting. I have a little, he's coming three. So I'll be starting him this year and sitting on him and telling him how beautiful he is every day. And that's my goal is to just make him a cute little happy helper. (laughs) I don't have big goals compared to everyone else, but I'm all right with it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I just said, like everyone's on their own path. That's true. You're right. Perfect. No, those are very important goals. You don't want to compare yourself to others. Exactly. And I'm I'm trying to embrace that cuz I feel good about it. I feel good about my goals. <laughs> um so I saw you guys put in here too. We usually talk about a word of the year and we just like to share that with other people so that we can kind of inspire each other and like have an intention and focus for the year. So Um, We just thought we'd share those and have you guys uh, pick yours if you haven't already. Um, Emily, what's your word of the year? My word is value and kind of in all aspects of my life. You know, I want to value myself and my skills and my abilities and also value the important things in my life like people, horses, Uh, And getting really clear on what I value. And so, yeah, apparently this year I value going overseas. So I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that. Um, And just I'm excited while I'm over there. I'm going to have 
a little more free time because I'm just going to have one horse. Um, and so I'm hoping that I can spend some more time figuring out really what I value and how I want to create value for others in the future. Tyler? Uh, my word is growth. And I like Emily's kind of values a two-edged sword of uh, creating value in her own life and value for others. And that's sort of how I view my word as well. Like uh, this year is a huge growth opportunity for me. Um, as much as I have loved everything that I've done in the horse industry, taking a step back from full-time work is, you know, allowing me to grow myself in a lot of areas of my life, including my, you know, doctorate, my jujitsu, everything with that. But it's also a goal to help others grow. Um, I'm hoping to have students that I teach and inspire in my gym. I'm going to be running the kids program though. So that's a great opportunity to, you know, help those flourish. Sorry, my cat is stepping on my computer. Um, I, <laughs> I just kicked him off. Um, and yeah, so just growing all aspects of myself and helping others along the way as well. That's Thank a great you. one. What, did you guys pick a word? I'm curious if you had a word before this podcast or... Or if you were forced to pick a word because of us. <laughs> we didn't have a word. We were, like, talking on the phone before we all got on the phone. And I was like, what's your word? What's my word? What are we going to do? Like, we got to pick a word. And so this is Liz. I picked motivation, which, like, I was going to change earlier when Tyler was going on about motivation and that you need other aspects to it. But I stuck with it. And <laughs> so, like, motivation to me is really important. And like Tyler had said earlier, you have to have a why. Like, why are you motivated to do this, you know? Um, and I do think it's also important that your motivation can grow and change, like, as your goals change and as you learn more things and experience different things. You know, I like to motiv motivate myself by wanting to make a change for me and not necessarily someone else. Like, if I'm, like wanting to do something to impress them like usually it's like the wrong motivation like I want to do it for myself and if I find myself doing it for myself then I feel like it sticks longer it lasts longer I'm not doing it just to impress someone else or to please someone else and so that's gonna be my word is motivation it's perfect though because it's like intrinsic motivation is really what you're touching on there. It's it's when we get into extrinsic forms of motivation where that that word can become a little toxic. But if you're going for the intrinsic value, I I really love and support that. Well, thank you. <laughs> the word I chose is flexibility because I have had to be really flexible in my work outside of horses this year and. I, my primary show horse has been sort of not well on and off. And so I've had to make a lot of adjustments to my riding with him and sort of his treatment plan. And I'm spending a lot of time trying to go with the flow because as a recovering perfectionist, as we talked about earlier, it's really hard for me to accept things that are out of my control, but I think it's a good practice and will hopefully serve me later in life as well. I think flexibility is very important, physically, emotionally, mentally. <laughs> I love it. All the things. Yeah, my physical flexibility is also getting a little touched on with my new Peloton. I do some yoga, so. 
<laughs> All right, guys. So let's see if we can do this on cue. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. ready? I can't wait. This is our next section. And books, books, books. Oh, no, I was going to okay. say books, 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 books. Let, Let's try that one more time. I feel like there wasn't a cue. Yeah. There was no Come cue. on, Emily. Okay. I need a one, two, a three. three. The- two. One. Books, 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 books. Okay. We might need to work on that, but that's all right. I love that. It's, you're going to have to, like, edit in the struggle bus because I, I actually really like it when we do stuff like that. Um, and we won't edit it. We'll yeah. Let it roll. Perfect. So uh, for those of you that haven't listened to the whole equestrian podcast, Emily and I are like total book dweebs. So we added a segment to talk about the books that we're reading. Um, And the original inspiration was I was reading a lot of high performance books from like other sports and business and aspects of life and trying to apply them to the equestrian world. And it's really just become whatever book you're reading and why it's good. So uh, what what are you guys up to in the the reading format? So I just started reading a book called No, You Cannot Pick My Brain. Uh, I don't know who it's by off the top of my head, but um, I'm currently reading it, so I haven't finished it yet. But it's really interesting because it talks about like not giving away your knowledge for free. So if somebody is like, oh, what would you do in this situation? Or what would you do here? Or like... You know, like, you have those people in your lives that you can, like, they're just always trying to, like, pick at you and, like, get a good deal and not have to pay you, you know, and it's trying to learn when is it okay to, like, give your knowledge away for free and when should you really just, like, stand up for yourself and recognize that, like, you've spent a lot of time and money and energy learning all these things that you don't just have to tell people what you know. Like, it's a value and you should be charging for it. So I think it's a really interesting book because I do feel like it applies to equestrians in general, like equestrian professionals um, overall, and I'm excited to see what else they have to say in it. That sounds like a very helpful book because I know I've struggled with this professionally. It's like I love riding horses and I love helping people, so sometimes I'm willing to just do things for free, which I don't mind occasionally, or, you know, like discount my services because I'm not like valuing them as much. I'm like, well, it's fun. Like I like doing it, but actually like I've put a lot of time, effort and my own money into it. Um, so I think that that could be an interesting read. Um, you'll have to tell me how it finishes up and if it's worth, um, a look over. Yeah, definitely. And like, I've like a little bit of it talks about like, why should this person get your knowledge for free when you have these 20 other people that are paying you for it? Like, those people would be pretty upset if they found out that maybe they could have just gotten that knowledge for free. And it, you know, it's like keeping it fair in all aspects. I, in a similar vein, just read a book called Boundary Boss, which is about setting boundaries with people, avoiding codependence in your relationships, which I always took codependence to mean that you just like couldn't function without each other. But what it sort of actually means is that you take on people, other people's emotions and other people's um, 
sort of goals more than your own or as your own. And that ends up being dysfunctional for you. And I thought it was a super valuable book because I, I wouldn't say I necessarily struggle with boundaries per se, but I definitely am a person who takes on a lot of external things. And a lot of people, the book kind of points out a lot of people who call themselves empaths or people who feel other people's emotions are actually just codependent and find their own value to be linked to taking on other people's value and responsibilities. So I thought it was a super interesting book and I got some valuable insight from it. Yeah, that's one that I would, I'd like to put that on my list for sure. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. What are you guys reading? I'm reading, well, actually, this is a lie. I'm not currently reading it, but I'm going to give you my number one recommendation for this year which is The Plant-Based Athlete. So I finished that, I don't know, in January or something. But it is- I was going to call you out, Emily, because I was like, she talked about this on the Major League Eventing podcast. Yeah. So if you're still if you're still reading The Plant-Based Athlete... I, I think it's such a good book. No, I am finished with the book, but um, I thought it was appropriate to talk about in this podcast in case some of their listeners haven't heard our books, books, books section. Um, and we were talking about diet. Books, books, diet. books. Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about diet and lifestyle and that sort of thing. And I would just encourage people who are plant curious and want to incorporate more plants into their diet to um, read this book because it is really like actionable advice. It breaks stuff down. It gives you like grocery lists and a lot of recipes, and um, I found it really helpful. Like, I wish I would have read this when I decided I wanted to go plant-based. Like, it is a great read if that's something you're interested in. So that's me. But um, Tyler, what about you? Um, Well, on my trip to Wellington, which was a few weeks ago, I finished the book, Uh, It's just called Will, um, and it's Will Smith's memoir. And I am a huge memoir junkie these days. Like, I literally read them, like, in a couple days because I'm just, I just really love them. Um, And Will's is written really well because Mark Manson is the underwriter, and he is the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep, um, which is a big fan favorite of Emily and I's. I love that um, book. And, it is so good. Oh, uh, yeah. so good. Same. And so, like, I just, like, love the, like, way the way that Mark Manson writes, but then, like, with Will Smith, and there's, like, so much about Will Smith that I didn't know, and I don't know why I was so interested in, like, his, his like, career as a rapper, and, like, he literally started the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because he didn't pay taxes on any of his money um, that he made as a rapper, and then he was, like, completely broke, and ended up being yeah the fresh prince of bel-air but he was the fresh prince was his rap name too so that was a lot of information for me that i just simply did not know about will smith but um just like a lot of really good messages in that book as well about uh hard work like he's very much like about the process and about like working hard and then you know at the end it's like a come to realization of like the finer things in life and all of that so um I just really enjoyed it and uh I've read probably six other memoirs in the past six weeks so uh it's good stuff that sounds like a book I could get jiggy with (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that. It's a good reference. Like a party in the city where the heat is on all night on the beach till the break of dawn. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. <laughs> Welcome to Miami. Love it. All right. I love a good old Will Smith rap. Who doesn't really? Um, I am yeah. curious to get into this next subject, which is saddle sores. That is something that you have on your podcast. I love the idea behind it. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're not about the positive, actionable advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I was telling Rachel, I was like, "Oh, we should do this podcast with these girls, with the whole equestrian." I was like. Well, we're kind of like opposite of them. Like they give this like great advice and like talk about all these positive things and we just complain about shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> but we're going to go with it. Yeah. Sometimes it's cathartic to complain. <laughs> but then you put a positive spin on it. Yeah. Yeah. So on that topic, Rachel, what was your saddle sword this week? It's a Mine is keepers on saddle pads. So like the ones at the top of the saddle pad that are usually too short to actually go under the flap of the saddle if you have a flap or definitely too short to hook to a mono flap. And in particular, when people keep them hooked on their saddle, Cut them and off. I'm expected to somehow figure out how they orient their saddle, how they orient their pad. I can't stand it. Cut those things off. Get rid of them. <laughs> They're trash. I would have to agree. Saddle, putting saddle pads on is like, in my mind, it's not that complicated. But yeah, just some people can't put saddle pads on. Mora, I'm not calling you out. Exactly. <laughs> Mora, we love you. I mean, it's just sometimes I'm like, I put on a saddle pad maybe a little different than you do. And I don't want this like cluster bleep after I take off your saddle of this pad that's still hooked onto the saddle. It's a nightmare for me. Yeah. I can't handle it. It should, they should not. (laughs) Yeah. They should not put those on saddle pads. Like in general, like whoever manufactures saddle pads, just stop putting them on the saddle pads. And I think that would solve the world's problems. Everyone I know cuts them right off. So what, what are we doing here? Stop wasting the material. The earth is melting. The last thing we need is more unused fabric on this planet. Amen, sister. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my saddle sore. (laughs) That's a good one. My saddle sore is body clipping horses. Like I hate I actually used to really like it but then I did it way too much and now I hate body clipping horses I love how they look I love body clipped horses but the whole process of it like it's just itchy it's hot usually the hair is sticking to you your clippers get dull they're expensive you can't even get clipper blades right now (laughs) like it's just it's just irritating to me (laughs) Clipping horses in Florida, definitely the worst. And if it's like wintertime, at least I wear like a full body rain suit and that's pretty good. But like, I'm totally with you there. Um, A lot of people will freelance like for extra money body clipping horses. And you honestly couldn't pay me a million dollars to body clip a horse like on my free time. That is fair. That's how I feel. Like I've gotten to the point where I will like hire those people I find on Facebook to come clip my horses. I'm capable of doing it but I just can't I was gonna say I'm totally like 100% uh 
person who's like, I will pay $200 to clip my horse so I don't have to step anywhere near it. Like, Don't say horrible. that. They're going to raise their rates. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, even, even as a professional groom, like I had a really good deal with uh, the head rider at Jenny Brannigan's Alexa Lap. Like she hated mucking stalls. So we had this really good system and we would like give a horse a, a bath the night before. And I told I was like, I will muck all of the stalls if you clip this horse during morning feeding chores. So that's what we did. And like she clipped all the horses and I just mucked stalls and I didn't get hair on my uh, eyeballs and inside my bra. That is a great deal. <laughs> that's good. That's a good trade off. Yeah. I would muck a thousand stalls to avoid clipping a horse. Yeah. So did you guys come up with saddle sores? Tell us what yours I- are. I did. So my saddle sore is blanket changes. In Aiken lately, it's just, we had a week that it was just warm all the time. So horses were in fly sheets or naked. That's fine. I'm cool with that. But the past couple days, it's been 70 during the day and then it gets down to like 40 at night. So when you turn out the horses, they're naked, but then you can't leave them naked overnight. So then you have to do like late blanket changes because now with daylight savings time the sun is out longer and it just it kind of adds to the day so I wish mother nature could just pick a temperature and (laughs) stick to it totally like last weekend it was 70 in the morning I feel that and then it gets down to 29 at night so it's like blankets on blankets off sheets on then mediums on like uh, you're changing blankets every three hours (laughs) i mean i'm gonna blow you two out of the water here in minnesota 40 in the day negative four at night what do you even do with that you just leave two blankets on (laughs) i put both my horses in midweights and i was like i'm so sorry you're gonna freeze your asses (laughs) off overnight sorry Put all the blankets on. Yeah. Um, I have a random thought that was inspired by Minnesota. I actually sold one of my horses to Minnesota. Which horse? Um, and I don't know how much eventing there is in Minnesota, but his name was Andy. His show, his show name's Malone Bay. Oh my um, god, Lamb was in Liz's barn. Yeah, he was in my barn, and I sold him again later in life. You're kidding? Like he was with a girl. Where is he now? Uh, he's back on the East Coast. I will send you his, the lady who bought him. I'd have to look her up. Um, oh, that horse is so good. We loved Andy. He was so nice. His, yeah, Andy. His, Malone Bay. Yeah, he was so good. Well, and so the girl evented him, and then she had, like, a bad fall. I don't think it was related to him, but... Um, so she switched to dressage, and, like, as she... Like, she had gotten a young rider dressage horse, and... So they moved to my barn, and they're like, oh, we want to sell this horse. And I'm like, what? what is it? Like, what's he do? And they didn't really, like, they're like, oh, we invented him. And I, like, looked him up, and I'm like, oh, he's, like, legit. Like, he's a nice horse. Like, we'll find him a great home. And a lady, like, flew out from the East Coast, came, tried him, loved him, fell in love with him. And I'll, I'll look it up and give you all the deeds you can add her on Facebook. Oh, my God, yeah. I'm going to – I have more questions after we're on air because that's a – that's an emotional story for me, that horse. I loved him. I wish I never sold him. Um, oh, what a small world. That's so crazy. He, he packed me around my training three-day, like such a good boy. Um, but 
anyways, my my saddle sore is selling Malone Bay um, no, and, and finding out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, obviously added sugar. That was a saddle sore from earlier. But the one that I had wrote down, um, and now that you talked about blanketing and stuff too, I feel like Red Hills was maybe just a little bit of a saddle sore for me. The fact that it was cold out. Like I did not fly from Pennsylvania to Florida for a horse show to end up like <laughs> walking uh, 10 miles a day in like 20 degree weather. I, and it wasn't. I, it was cold. It was so, and it felt so wet and so cold. And like, thank God it was snowing when I left Pennsylvania. So like I had a ton of jackets from like, my flight down but I like I had to put I put on my jeans I put track pants over my jeans I put like three pairs of socks on I was like I'm not messing around like it's cold outside and it was not only that it was not only cold in Florida it was also daylight savings and jog day so I literally had to get to the barn at 5 45 daylight saving so like left the house at 5 15 which is like really 4 15 so i woke up at like 3 45 yeah to go jog up two star horses um which you know fair enough like i i loved it i loved going like jenny had a great weekend the two star horses finished like fourth and fifth we won the intermediate won the advance like it was a great weekend But it could have been a little bit warmer for me, Florida. And then I came back to Pennsylvania. It was like 70 degrees this week. So I'm very confused. (laughs) That is very unfair. The world is confused. (laughs) Yeah. It's because of all that wasted fabric from the, the saddle pads. Yes, that's why. That's that's why. <laughs> Those keepers. Freaking, that's why yeah. it was cold in Florida because they were they're wasting materials. So then, I think we should end this on a more positive note and give some actionable advice, which is what you guys do on your podcast. Yeah, just like it's Perfect. supposed to be, just like a quick little something that you can do right away to make your life better. You guys start and go. Oh, I you want it. us to start? You're okay. the pros. All right. <laughs> well. So my actionable advice is don't be afraid to ask for help. And the reason that this has been um, on my mind is just like with my badminton adventures, I've had to reach out to people to, you know, like get on board and help support me. And that's a really uncomfortable thing for me to do. But I have found that if there's good intention behind it, the right people will step up and help you. So Try not to let that fear um, keep you from something really great. That's great advice. Yeah, and I love it. That is something that I think ties into what I was going to say, which is like letting go of perfectionism. Because I feel like people like think that they're automatically supposed to be good at things right away. Um, you know, it's this idea that. You know, you wouldn't laugh at a baby if it falls down when it's learning to walk, but all of a sudden you get into adulthood and it's like, you're supposed to just have everything figured out and like asking for help is great. Like letting go of this idea that you need to be perfect is also important. Um, and that's just sort of overarching with all the topics that we talked about on today's episode, eating healthier, working out, like preventing burnout, just try not to like do everything so well all the time and you'll feel better yeah I think that like leads into what you were gonna say Rachel yeah so basically my advice was if you make a mistake acknowledge it and then let it go 
it does no good to anybody to ruminate on mistakes and to think about them over and over. And the more that you can acknowledge that it happened, acknowledge why it happened, and then forget about it, I think the better off you're going to be. And that applies to not only horses, because they're forgiving of our mistakes, but also all facets of life. I think that's great. It's kind of like in show jumping, when you hear yourself hit a rail, don't look back at it. What are you going to do? Pick it up with your eyes? No, be better to the next (laughs) fence. I love that. That is great. Right. Or if you mess up a movement in dressage, you've got to just keep, you've got to ride the next movement. You can't fix the movement you just did. So move on. (laughs) Right. Like get on with it already. (laughs) Like Lucinda would say. Yeah, that is a great, great quote. I love that. (laughs) I'm going to use that with my sports psychology clients. Like you're not going to pick it up with your eyes. What are you doing? Um, So my actionable advice is to save your money. And this is something I struggle with all the time. I I don't know, it was probably four or five years ago, I opened a Roth IRA account. So that was like a huge step for me to like start putting money away into a retirement account. And like, just trying to like, cut things out that you just don't need. Like, I think it's so easy to like go out to dinner and oh, well, I'm, you know, clients are in town and my friends are in town. So I'm going to do this, this and this. Well, this is like my everyday life, like clients are coming and going, friends are here. You know, like I found myself like easily getting sucked into like spending a lot of money when I don't need to be like, this is what I do every day. And I'm just going to try to limit myself to this amount. And I'm going to try to put this money away. And I think the earlier in life you can learn to save money, the better off you will be later. Learn learn it from me. (laughs) And if you have a job that saves money for you, put away the maximum that they will match so that you can squeeze the most out of them possible before you leave them. (laughs) That is very actionable advice. And I think that um, equestrians and eventers in particular could uh, take that to heart. So thanks for sharing. I love it. I love that we got to blend all of our segments together. I think this was such a fun episode. Yeah, I'm excited. I I hope we get the most views ever on this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> of all time. Yeah. We'll be sharing it all over the social media. So Us too. Well, it was great talking with you guys, and we're going to be signing off soon. This is Unstable and Unbridled and the whole equestrian signing out. Saying goodbye. Good night, everyone. (laughs) We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. And in the meantime, enjoy the ride. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the whole equestrian podcast. Stable. No. We're here bridging the gap between riding and wellness. Bridal, no. Discussing topics related to mindset, fitness, nutrition, and community. We're unstable and unbridled. Our mission is to promote health and happiness through our love of horses. Yee.